0: to be urgent and not panic. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for this sermon from July 3rd, 2022 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. In our gospel passage today, Jesus was aware that the national situation was desperate and people were growing frustrated and fearful, some even panicking and turning to extremism as they looked for the answer. In this context, Jesus sent out the Seventy with urgent instructions to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God, and not to become diverted along the way. This passage surely speaks to us today. It is a powerful reminder that in our frustrations with our societies and churches, we cannot be tempted to look for instant non-biblical solutions. The work of a disciple must rest upon Jesus' assurance that God's kingdom will continue to expand despite political and cultural obstacles. Thus, Rev. David Pelegi tells us, our response must be urgent and kingdom-centered, but never one of despair or panic. Deacon John Arnold starts us off with a word of prayer. Today,
1: if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
2: Our first reading is from the book of Kings, Second Kings, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go. The king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his his robes and said, Am I a god? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, Wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Afar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash, and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Our second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 19 to 24. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the anointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne And deliver a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Be reading from the gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house first say peace, to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will be upon them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wiped from our feet as a warning to you. Yet, be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me, Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. however, do not rejoice that the spirits commit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
4: It's, isn't it true that
1: the wisest amongst us are the youngest?
4: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just uh, come to such passages as... Uh, the one we read in the gospel. And Lord, we pray that it will instruct us and then guide us, guide us, encourage us. And Lord, we pray that um, encountering these things in the, your life and the life of your earliest followers, Lord, will indeed, Lord, put us on the right path and give us and approach your approach to, Lord, the situation and the problems that we face, challenges that we face in the world today. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Teach us and encourage us, and even challenge us if necessary, from the scriptures this morning. And we do ask this so that you can be glorified amongst us. Amen. So I'd like to... um, Carol I think that's all. I don't know if there are any more who want to get out while they can. I'd like to um, just begin with a short story and um, or to recount something I heard years and years ago uh, when I first came to Israel, 42 years ago, 41 years ago, I was uh, talking to um A man who um, I think I admire more than anyone I've met in the last 42 years in this country, and his name was Bob Lindsay, and Bob Lindsay used to be the pastor um, at the Baptist Church in the center of Jerusalem, Narke Street congregation, as it's known today, and Bob was a great scholar. And he knew the Hebrew, and he knew the Greek, and he knew the Aramaic, and he knew the rabbinic literature, and he knew the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when Bob got baptized by the Holy Spirit, uh, and his life changed, he got very, very interested in the whole concept of the kingdom of heaven. And he was quite energized and open to the work of the Holy Spirit, but... he went back to the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and studied the Gospels in the light of the Jewish context, and he thought, "I've got it." And one day he was talking to a Korean pastor who had uh, nowhere near the theological education, you know scholarly experience that Bob had. and he, Bob thought, "Well, I'm going to test him. And he says to this pastor, do you know what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of heaven? And Bob waited for the answer. And this Korean man, godly man uh, says, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus is present and at work. And Bob just thought for a minute, yeah, You know, he summed it up in a way, in a simple way, you know, that with all my study and all my, all the background, he encapsulates it in, in a way better than I ever could. And so when we come to these passages, now in the Gospel of Luke, all through the summer and into the fall, in which Jesus will talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's the same thing. Basically, all we're talking about is, yes, a living, risen Jesus who's at work in the lives of people, families, communities, nations. And wherever Jesus is at work, yes, redemption is happening. And the story of the sending of the 72 has some... It has really some inter- has an interesting well interesting ways to approach this we could look at it in the light of elijah, yes, because elijah in many ways, as we learned last week, is anointed by the spirit, he has a similar ministry to Jesus, a ministry of healing and miracles, calling people to repentance, butting heads with the religious establishment. Um, you might call Elijah the father of discipleship. Um, We could look at it in the context, look at uh, this incident of the 70 or 72, most likely 70 by the way. We could look at this in the context of the time in which Jesus lived. Jesus lives in a day, When uh, frustration amongst the people of Israel is on the rise, desperation is increasing. People are looking for what we call in America the silver bullet. They're looking for one solution that's going to solve every problem. Uh, People are tending toward extremism. There is starting, folks are starting to advocate violence in the name of God or violence to accomplish God's purposes. People want one divine, immediate solution to all their problems. There's a panic in the land, a hysteria that's starting to grow. And thirdly, we can look at this passage Yes? In the light of where we are in 2023. So let's look, let's do two of those things at least, maybe three. So let's look at the passage. And so looking at Luke 10, Jesus uh, in chapter nine, uh, well, already from chapter nine, he's on his way to Jerusalem He's on his journey to his death and his resurrection. Uh, all along the way, he'll be teaching uh, and emphasizing discipleship, the cost of following him, the blessings of following him. And in chapter nine, we read that uh, he had already sent out the 12. He'd sent out the elite, the his inner circle. And chapter nine and the sending of the t- Sending of the uh, 12 doesn't look too much different than what we see in chapter 10. However, there is, a kind of, there is one important difference. It says uh, that the 12 set out, they go from village to village, they preach the gospel, and they heal people everywhere. They preach, yes, and they heal. Chapter 10 will be a little bit different as we see. Uh, in just a moment. So it says, um, after Jesus was, uh, gave some teaching on the cost that you might say of discipleship, he appointed 72 for 70. He sent them out two by two. Yes, he told them um, uh, to go ahead of him uh, to every town and place where he was about to go. It's a very interesting, uh, and then he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. Go, that's his commandment. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And so I think part of um, what's quite uh, maybe essential here is that we see with Jesus, he has a certain urgency. Yes, there's not a hysteria. There's not a panic like there was, for example, we just lived through with uh, COVID. And maybe some of the hysteria and panic was justified because folks didn't know what we were dealing with. There's not the panic that we have, you know, that uh, many people have today. But when looking at the world situation, Jesus, of course, is confident in his message, and he's confident, yes, in the growth, yes, of the kingdom of heaven, meaning that more and more people will ultimately submit themselves to him. But he is indeed urgent. He's urgent. Uh, And that urgency is going to be reflected in the following ways. uh, Those who are being sent out ahead of him, he says, I want to remind you that there's going to be opposition, and that it's not going to be easy, uh, and people aren't going to necessarily welcome you, you know, with uh, with uh, ticker tape parades or uh, give you the key to the city when you show up. And he says, "I want you to be you're going to be like there's you're going to be sorry be like lambs among wolves." Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone along the way. And so here, I think we, I hope we see the first, uh, you might say principle in all of this, right? Jesus is the one who appoints. Jesus is the one who sends. yes. Um, And we see this, you might say, a partnership between God or between Jesus and his followers. So the work that Jesus is asking these folks to do, the same work that he asks us to do, we have to strike a careful balance. It's not all our work. It's not all our effort. It's not all our plans. It's not uh, all the, you might say, the insight isn't necessarily only come from the consultant Yes, the the one who comes and helps give your church the mission statement. All right, it's done in partnership. And it's not only God. And we can't fold our arms and say, oh, well, God's going to do the work. No, there is a privilege in all of this. The privilege is one that uh, we're invited to partake or to participate, yes, in the work of the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, we're messengers or representatives in partnership with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do what—to extend His kingship, His rule and control, and authority over the lives of people. Yes, wherever Jesus is taking control, yes, that's where we have the king. That's where we have the kingdom of heaven, and. In this urgency, Jesus says, travel light. Don't get too encumbered. Don't get so worried about finances or don't get get somehow stuck along the way. And it's not, by the way, that you don't say shalom or hello to somebody. It's that you become entangled uh, socially. Yes, uh, with folks that somehow you're diverted or, or turned aside uh, from this mission. By the way, the gospel of uh, Matthew is very helpful, I think, and that it so, tells to what gives us, you perhaps the motivation for all of this. So many folks will say, yes, the end is near and we got to get out and do this before Jesus comes. I don't know if that's ever the motivation As for the urgency that Jesus has. Instead, Matthew's gospel tells us something similar. He says, He goes into towns and villages, teaching under synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, yes, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to his disciples, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few." Right? <sighs> Ask the Lord. Right? This is done in partnership. Ask the Lord. It's not human effort, and it's not something that we sit passively. Um, we sit passively at the pool and say, "Well, if God wants to do something, He'll do it, and He certainly doesn't need me." It's a privilege. He calls us into partnership. He calls us, and this partnership started in the Garden of Eden. It's nothing new in the Gospels, as yes, when Adam and Eve were to um, work with God and to, to rule over, yes, the creation that He made. And then when you enter a house, say, first peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And so here Jesus is instructing uh, his disciples how to behave on this mission. Yes, and uh, I think these instructions, are, they might be more than relevant for us today. What does it mean? Yes, to be in partnership. It means that there's no manipulation that we're not doing this for some kind of personal benefit, although our needs must be met in some way, that we're not in it for the money, or we're not in it for the prestige, or we're not always looking for a better offer. And in the process of going to someone's house and extending the greeting of peace and receiving hospitality, there's another aspect of the kingdom of God that we don't don't remember. And that aspect is that the kingdom of God is not only as understood by Jesus, it's not only the place where Jesus is ruling and reigning, it's not only the place where there is redemption, where, where the Holy Spirit is touching lives and bringing wholeness and security to people, restoration. But the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus understands it, is a community. And here we have the creation of a community. Now, what is that community? community as Jesus occasionally uses the term in the gospel, it's a group of people, yes, who call Jesus king. It's a group of people, it's a movement, yes, whose primary aim, right, is to serve him and to submit themselves to him. Jesus, for example, in in a number of places, in fact, in chapter nine, just before we get to this, it's... um, Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Yes, what does that mean? Meaning, if you don't put your hand to the plow and you look back, it means you're not going to heaven. It's not how the kingdom of God is used in this instance. Here, Jesus uses the kingdom of God. I learned this from Bob Lindsay. As a community, you want to be with the disciples. You want to be with those people, yes, who, who put Jesus first. Then you have to focus. You can't plow as um, you can't. Uh, in the ancient world, you had to plow with two hands and you had to keep your eyes on what, uh, what was in front of the plow. You can't have one hand on the plow and the other hand on the cell phone talking to mom. or who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, well, not talking about a place you go when you die, and Jesus said, bring me a child, and they brought a child, and Jesus said, okay, this this is the person who's greatest in my movement, the one who's humble and trusting, right? So the kingdom of heaven is this redemptive activity, but it's also a community. And the community here, how is this community created? It's not based on a denomination. It's certainly not based on um, doing a bunch of good deeds together. It's based first and foremost on the person of Jesus. Yes. And it centers around, um, it centers around uh, serving serving him. So, these are how the disciples should. And then, when you enter a town, then you are welcome. Eat what is before you. Again, this is—I believe—it's not some—it's uh, not some way of uh, overthrowing the kosher laws. Uh, but it's a way of again, community happens and relationship happens when people eat together. And so, this is again Jesus wanting to. Uh, create community, and then here we have heal the sick, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near. And here's the basic message: that the kingdom of God is near. Now, in chapter in chapter nine, it was they preached first, but here it's heal the sick, and I, I am convinced. Reading Luke's gospel, it's not just about the physical sickness, right? It's about the, the sickness that encompasses uh, the whole human race. Because we are not only guilty and need of forgiveness for our sin, but we are also in need of life. And I think this is why the gospels put an emphasis on exorcism and healing uh, and more because the purpose of Jesus is to come and to bring not just life in the world to come, but to start to bring us life in this world. Okay. And start uh, to demonstrate uh, through healing or exorcism what uh, this, uh, this actually looks like or what the new creation looks like. It's not here, yes. It's here, but it's not yet. It's here, but it's not yet. And thus, what's the method? In one place it was preaching. And here, it's praying for people. It's praying for a family that's on the verge of a divorce. Yes, and there's healing and restoration or reconciliation in the family. It's praying for someone who has an addiction, and that person gets free from the addiction. It's praying for uh, those who are anxious and fearful, those who are somehow petrified of the future. It's praying for those who are scared of dying. They're so afraid of dying, as many people are, they're afraid to live. And when we pray for people, and we bring the presence of Jesus into their lives. Yes, and the Lord begins to work. Then we say, the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus is here and he's taking control. Now submit yourself to the king. The pattern is the same. It's the exact same pattern that happened at Sinai, yes? God liberated the people, he freed them, he cared for them, he provided for them, and only afterwards did he say to them at Sinai, now that I've done these things for you, I want to rule over you. Yeah? When God liberates, when God frees, when God restores or heals or delivers us from the demonic, or from unseen powers that want to destroy us, our response should obviously be one of joy. But our response has to be, oh, now that you've done these wonderful things for me, I want to submit myself to you. I want you to be king. I want to rule over you. I'm going to allow you to rule over me. That's the message. It's not the only message in nine, or the only, the only way to do things in chapter nine, they were preaching first. Here, they're, they're praying for people, asking for God's intervention, and then saying, the kingdom of heaven is broken out among you. And it depends on the context in which we find ourselves. You might be in a context where it's hard to preach, but everybody wants prayer or most people want prayer. People want to be free from smoking and others want to to find a job uh, and others are having trouble in their relationship. And I don't think that we should be afraid to pray for those people, to invoke the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord to work in their lives. And then, at one certain point, we say, "If God has done this for you, then you need to allow Him to rule over you. Right? You need Him to. I think it's summed up very nicely in First Corinthians chapter six, isn't it? You are not your own; you have been bought with a price. Right? Therefore, glorify God in your body. Right? And that, this, in that context, we're talking about sexual immorality." And so Jesus sends them out and they go. Our passage continues that um, the 72 return and they return with joy. And certainly joy is a huge part of Luke's gospel. You may remember that when John and Jesus are born, there's a great deal of joy. And there's a great deal of joy at the resurrection and seeing the resurrected Jesus. And here the disciples themselves are full of joy. And they say to him, Lord, they call him Lord, right? Master. Um, they said, even the demons submit to us in your name. All right? So They've attached themselves to Jesus because they're using, they're using the name of Jesus. And he, Jesus says, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. I'm not sure this should be taken. Literally, snakes and scorpions are uh, symbols of of, of evil, of spiritual evil, physical evil. Um, And to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits... Submit to you, but rejoice that your name is in heaven. Yes. And so Jesus just mildly rebukes the disciples. Mildly rebukes the disciples. And just says, yes, it's true. You have spiritual authority and you have power, but there's something greater. And what's greater is that you have an eternal safety, and that there's no reason, uh, there's certainly no reason to be, no reason to be afraid, that you can re- rest in this divine safety. Now, what does this mean for us? In many ways. Remember the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha is found by Elijah and he's appointed. He's appointed and Elijah says to Elisha, come and be my disciple. Come and join the school of the prophets. And what does Elisha do? He says, well, let me sell the farm. Let me pay the bills. Let me put the money in my pension fund or let me cash out my... You know, my 401k and, uh, you know, Elisha, who, Elijah, who in many ways serves as a model for Jesus, as, has a student. And this student takes a long time to eventually join him. If you've ever noticed that when Jesus calls, calls someone to follow him, it's immediate, right? Again, there's a certain urgency. And the urgency isn't that the, the, the end is coming, although bad things might be on the horizon. The urgency is that people need to be liberated. All of us need to be liberated, and we need to be freed right, from the power of the devil, from the power of sin, from the fear of death. Otherwise, the corruption... Yes, in our lives continues. And that corruption goes from generation to generation. There's no stopping and there's no reversal. Secondly, what about the time in which Jesus lived? The time in which Jesus lived again was a time of desperation. It was a time of huge frustration or growing frustration. Jesus can foresee that there's disaster on the horizon and he wants to he is warning his people in fact in the middle of the chapter a portion we did, we don't we did not read he warns uh, Chorazin Bethsaida and uh, Capernaum yes that if they don't repent right and accept this message of peace right and again peace here is This is intrinsic to the message of the kingdom because peace is not just the absence of war, but peace is, again, restoration and wholeness and completeness. If you don't accept this message of peace, there will be disaster for you three towns. And so here's, I think, the lesson that we need. I think hopefully each one of us can draw from this. We also live in a time of increasing desperation. And we live in a time of panic, and we live in a time of hysteria, and we live in a time of extremism. It's blossoming all over the world. And it's very easy for us to get sidetracked and sucked up into all of this. It's easy to get sucked up into the wrong spirit, as Aaron Iime spoke last week. And that, or this passage warns us, right? And tells us to stay away from those things. First and foremost, as long as Jesus doesn't return, there is no uh, silver bullet. There is no one solution that's gonna solve everything. There's no one politician that's gonna fix all of our problems. And what dis- really disturbs me when I hear many Christians just say, well, if we can only get a Christian president, if we can only you know, get Christians in Congress, I don't think that's a bad thing, but that's not going to immediately solve our problems. If we can only just get this teaching out the people, if we can only just have a revival, yes, if we can only just get rid of those people, you know, who support abortion, and I'm not condoning abortion, or those people who are doing this thing, or those people who are doing that thing. And the way in many places in the world today, yes, the battle that we're waging is a battle against flesh and blood. Where ultimately, right, the battle is against the demonic, And it's against the forces, it it is against the corruption brought into this world by death. And we're not offering life, we're offering a political solution. And I can tell you that throughout history, when we've tried to solve all of our problems, or we have tried to solve problems in a way that have not been according to the way of Jesus, it ends in a disaster. You know, the Crusaders had to come to this country and conquer it from the Muslims so that Jesus could return. That was, a, that was going to solve everything. And we're still living with the consequences or the bad fruit of the Crusaders, you know, even to this day. Yes. So we need to be really careful, right? The way of Jesus here. Or the kingdom of heaven is that it's a slow process and it relies on building community. Communities centered around Jesus with, this, with a common, <clears throat> common goal. And by the way, not everyone in these communities may necessarily agree with us because Jesus said, When you come and you find people who are children of peace. You know, there you have something in common with them. What does that mean? Were they somehow converted to Jesus beforehand? But building a community, and the community demonstrates the kingdom of God, preaches the kingdom of God, illustrates the kingdom of God, and it's a very slow process because it can't be imposed politically. It can't be forced upon people. We have to be converted. Yes, we have to be converted. We have to, um, and the conversion by the way, starts with repentance. And repentance is not just a once and only thing that happens to us. Repentance is a lifestyle. And it's something that we will do all our lives. And so if we force or we're going to impose, if we're going to push this upon people without their hearts being changed, they will just, in a generation or two, rebel. Look at what happened to Soviet communism or communism in Eastern Europe. They pushed, they imposed, they killed, they murdered, they deported millions Yes, to force their ideology upon people. And then it disappeared overnight the minute people got their freedom. Secondly, urgency. Yes, we cannot be hysterical because if we're hysterical and we panic, we'll make bad decisions. You might say, but look at all the things that are happening in the West and it is horrible. But I want to remind you, Jesus starts with 72 plus people. Yes, including women who are amongst his disciples. He starts with 72 on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And today there are two billion people who call Jesus Lord. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Are we confident in the message of Jesus? Are we confident that in his kingship, that it will continue to expand? And I don't mean that at the end of the age, everyone will be a believer, but that his influence will continue to grow. Or are we gonna shrink back and be afraid and just bemoan and say to ourselves, oh, it's getting terrible out there. The world is horrible. They don't wanna know anything. There's nothing we can do. Yes, the kingdom, it expands and it sometimes retracts. But there's still a harvest, as Jesus reminds us in the parable. As the farmer goes out to sow a seed, and a lot of the seed falls on places that will not produce a crop. But in other places, it produces a very, very healthy, there's very healthy results. Are we going to panic? Are we going to be hysterical? Are we going to try shortcuts? Yes, that in the end will dishonor Jesus and actually be counterproductive. Are we really committed to being partners? Yes, with with. Jesus and his father in expanding his lordship and his kingship in the lives of people. And again, may I remind you that where Jesus is present, he begins to bring repentance and he begins to bring restoration of relationships and the grace to forgive and the power to turn off our addictions and to stop our hating people who speak another language or from another ethnic group, and more. And in all of this, the disciples were full of joy. Can we accept the responsibility and to be joyful Joyful in knowing that our names are not only written in the Lamb's book of life, but also joyful in knowing that if we do our part, whether it's preaching or praying or being obedient in the simplest of ways, because the kingdom of God isn't only present when the spectacular is happening, We'll pray in a few minutes, the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Meaning when we do God's will, even in the smallest things, yes, there Jesus is ruling and reigning. That's what we have is kingship. So can we do those things and be full of joy? And I would hope that it's not that we're just having, have our names secure in the Lamb's book of life, which is a wonderful thing, but what a privilege and honor, yes, to be empowered and sent by Jesus, right? And in some small way or big way, touch the lives of those who need restoration or need to be reconciled or who need healing in one way or another and not just physical healing. Those who are isolated from their community or those who are alienated, what a privilege that is. And in all of that, yes, the power of the devil is broken and God's kingdom is extended. That's what I call being on the right side of history. Not the way secular politicians use the term. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we will not take a shortcut or be tempted to take shortcuts but we pray that uh, we will commit ourselves to be partners with you. We pray that uh, we will be sent by you, that we'll be empowered by you, and that each of us will have a clear, clear vision of what it means to go and to bring the good news of the kingdom of heaven to those around us. Lord, we will face opposition, but we pray, Lord, that uh, we will always be assured of your victory, that we'll be confident, yes, that in the end, you and your message will not be defeated, and that um, there will be no end to your kingdom. Lord, give us that assurance and confidence Keep us from panic and hysteria. And Lord, we pray that even in the midst of difficulties, we pray that uh, we will have that gift of joy. And we do ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.